Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to see, really from the words of Jesus Christ himself, what the church is to do. What's the job of the church? Really, it's church planting. It's the work of missions. And I know the missionary, the church planter is coming up and probably using the text that's most overused ever for the sake of missions, but we're going to look at this text once again, Matthew chapter 28. And as we do, I really believe that we'll get to see something maybe from a different perspective that you haven't seen before. Not that there's any new truths in the Bible. It's the same truth that's always been there. But maybe from a different angle tonight, we'll be able to see some perspective that's a little bit different. And once once you open your passage there to Matthew 28, and if you haven't memorized even, you'll notice that there's a word in these three verses called the Great Commission that's repeated four different times. The first three times, the letters are three letters. The last time, it's only two letters. It's the word all. All. Now, this word all is a very simple word. Its meaning literally means entirely everything. Entirely everything. Someone put it this way, a little bit redundant, but they said all means all, and that's all that all means. It gets the point across. Really redundant, but we understand it. This word all. But don't let the simplicity or the size of this word fool you because this word is a very powerful word. It's powerful, first off, because it's an exact word. When somebody says all, you know exactly what they're talking about. They don't mean 50%. They don't mean 75%. Or as Clorox and Lysol, they battle out and they claim 99.99%, right? When someone says all, It means the whole thing, the whole shebang, all of it, entirely everything. It's also powerful not just because it's exact, but because it's extreme. One of the most extreme sports really is football, right? We just had the Super Bowl, but every once in a while when you you listen to those interviews for those players, they'll say something that really blows my mind. They say, I gave my all on the field. That's a very extreme thing to say. And what do they mean by that? They mean their blood, their sweat, their tears, their concussion, their broken ankle, their torn Achilles, whatever it may be, it's all there on the field. They they gave everything they can possibly give to win that game. That's an extreme thing to say. So it's powerful because it's exact, it's extreme, but also it's powerful because it's emphatic. It, It makes big statements, statements such as all or nothing, all or nothing. And we come to this word, this very powerful word, four separate times in the text before us this evening. And when you look at it, two of those times, it's in reference to our great God. He says, all power is given unto me. And then at the very end of it, he says, lo, I am with you always. Those are some very powerful statements. Some very, very weighty words. But this, the other two times in the middle, it's in reference to you and to I. 
It's in reference to the church. We are to teach all nations. And we are to teach them to observe all things. Again, these are very powerful and very weighty statements. Notice it as we read the text together. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. The Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world, Amen. All. Without it, you cannot fulfill the Great Commission. Without it, it, and it's impossible to be an effective witness. It's impossible to plant churches and to do the work of missions without this very simple word. So we're going to take a study at this word this evening. And as we do so, I want to ask you guys to consider the question, am I doing everything I possibly can for the sake of the gospel? Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get right into it this evening. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for the power that it still has today to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If there's someone here this evening, Father, who's not yet certain of their salvation, I pray that this evening that they would get that settled. Thank you for the testimony that Pastor gave a moment ago of people getting saved and and baptized and people getting discipled. Thank you for that. It's proof that the gospel still works. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to, those of us who are already saved, to take heart from this message and to apply it and to, to act upon it. And that you'll get glory from it as more people come to the saving knowledge of Christ and more missionaries get sent and more people become a witness and more church churches get planted. All for your glory. I pray that you'll use me this evening, cleanse me of sin and empty me of self, fill me with your power as I preach in Jesus' name. Amen. Now right off the bat, I'm going to give a a little bit of a disclaimer, okay? Okay, you ready for this? We're not supposed to gamble, okay? Gambling's a sin. And I'm going to use an illustration of gambling to prove a good and godly point. Now I was always told in Bible college, don't you ever... Under any circumstances, use something that is sinful to prove a godly point or to show something great about our God, but I'm going to do it, okay? So I'll I'll probably be fired from from, uh, the alumni of West Coast or whatever the case. They're going to disown me, but we're going to go ahead and run with it. We're going to use this illustration of poker, okay? How many of you know what poker is? I would assume most everyone, right? So I don't know much about poker. I've never played the game. I have watched it a lot. Uh, on, I, I watched it on the ESPN poker tournament. I don't know why, but it intrigues me. I've not played it, uh, so I can't really help you, give you any tips or pointers. That's my wife's job. So if you want some tips and pointers about how to play the game of poker, go see her after the service. Go to Vegas for her. You guys will be, trust me, you'll be winning, getting a lot there. But this game of poker, one thing I do know about it is that you have these things called poker chips, right? Poker chips. And you use these poker chips to place a bet, to to give a wager, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about here? Okay, most everyone. Pastor, you have a lot of work cut out for yourself, okay? A lot of people need to come to the altar, so now you guys gambling in here, okay? So what I do know is that you place this wager, right? And when you place this wager, every once in a while you'll see a guy 
who just doesn't place a couple of chips. He'll take every single chip that he has and he'll push all of his chips to the center of the table. And he has this phrase, as soon as he does that, he says this phrase. If you know the phrase, say it with me. He says, I'm what? All in, all right? Man, we have a lot of gamblers in here tonight. I'm all in, he says. Now, what does that phrase, I'm all in, what does that mean? It means that he can't give anything else. He can't place any more chips there because everything that he has is already in the center of the table. He's all in. He's given everything he can possibly give. All in. And did you know that our Savior, Jesus Christ, was all in on missions? He was all in on the gospel. So much so that he took his life and he placed it right there in the center of the table. He left heaven's glory. He became a man. He lived a perfectly sinless life. And then he allowed his creation to beat him. To put a bag over his face and to, to pound his face. To take his clothes off of him and to, to strip him naked and to take a, a cat of nine tails and, and rip the flesh right off of his back. To take a crown of thorns and beat it into his brow. And then to nail him on a tree. And God says, I'm all in for you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He, he gave all. And I'm so thankful that our God was all in on the gospel. But the question that we're faced with from this text is, are you? Are you all in on the gospel? Have you gotten to the point in your life where everything in your life is revolving around Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20? When you wake up, are there people on your mind that you are praying for? Are there coworkers in your heart that you're, 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 you're desiring for them just to hear the gospel maybe, maybe one more time so they can get saved? Are you all in? This evening from this text, I want us to notice the four alls of a witness that is truly all in for the sake of the gospel. Now this outline is very simple. It's already right there in your text. So if you're reading your Bible, you already know the whole message, but please stay with me. The first point we see here is all power. If you want to have a witness that is all in, it starts with his all power. Verse 18, it says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. What does that mean? That means that Jesus, as their creator, God in the flesh, deity wrapped up in humanity, the one who has the universal right and authority and control and power over all things, he is making a claim here that all power is his. He is the omnipotent one, the one who created this world in six literal days with words. When you stop and you think about that, he spoke, and, and it happened. When you, we, we get to the stars, day four, it says, and he made the stars also, as if it was an afterthought. 
This is the power of our God. He has everything under his watchful eye, the God of countless miracles, the God of eternity, present, past, and future. He's not bound by time. He's the all-knowing one who is answerable to no one. He has all power. Jeremiah tells us in chapter 32, verse 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, that's a rhetorical question, meaning that it's a question that does not need an answer because the answer is crystal clear. There is nothing too hard for our God. He can do anything. He has all power. But just in case you didn't believe it, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. And so he tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. A God of endless power. We find in the scripture that his power extends over everything in the world. Be that known or unknown, be that angels or be that demons, be that sinners or saints. The Bible tells us that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Often we stop and we look around the world and we we think about the power of inflation or or the power of these corrupt governments or, or Hamas or all these things and we stop and we forget about the one who's sitting on the throne still, the one who still holds all power. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 21 that he is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. Colossians tells us in chapter 1 verse 16, for by him are all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. That's a lot of power. But the verse doesn't stop there. It is, and he is before all things. And again, wow, that's amazing. What, what a powerful God. But the verse doesn't stop there either. And then it continues and says, and by him all things consist. Everything happening is because of him. A God of tremendous power. We know that this power will, will never end because the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, God speaks to the Son and says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. We know it's eternal because Revelation tells us, tells us in chapter 22, verse 13, that God is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. Which means that if He truly is all-powerful, it will never run out. It will never cease. It will never stop. When's the last time you've stopped in your life and just focused on the all-powerful one? You say, Brother Robbie, that's great, but what in the world does that have to do with soul winning or, or missions work? Well, if you continue to read your Bible, we have the answer. Verse 19. Go ye... What's the next word? Therefore... I was always taught growing up in church, whenever you see the word therefore in your Bible, to stop and look back to see what it's there for. How many of you have ever heard that before? Most of you, okay. So when we do that, what do we find? He says, go ye therefore. What we find is that it is attaching God's power to the action of our obedience. That's what it's doing. Because God is all-powerful, we now have a job to do. 
And that job is to tell the world of his saving power. We are to tell the world of his power. Why his power? Because it's the only power that can save. There is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. His is the name. His is the power. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through him. Our job as Christians, our job as believers is to take the gospel, the power of God unto salvation, and to preach it and to declare it to the world. So it starts with all power. Not mine, but his. All power, which leads us right into the second point. All nations. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. The them there is all nations. So baptizing all nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So again, since God has all power, we then are to go in that power and proclaim to the world the power that saves to all nations, all nations. Notice this word here, teach, though. Teach all nations. What does that word mean? Quite literally, it means to make disciples of. In other words, to see people saved. Go and see people saved in all nations. Win people to Christ. Win people to Christ. How do we do this? It's very simple. Share your faith. That's how we do it. That's how we reach the world. That's how we, re- that's how we reach Newport. That's how we reach Irvine. That's how we reach L.A. And, and Hawthorne, by sharing our faith. Now, there's a lot of different terms that people like to throw out. Witnessing, door knocking, soul winning, sharing your testimony. Whatever the case may be, whatever phrase or word you would like to use, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that we do it. What matters is that we obey and and share our faith. And the cool thing about sharing your faith is this. It works. Sharing your faith works. Now, how do we know that that it works? There's two tests that I like to prove to, to people to show that it works. The first is the sight test. The sight test. Look around this room. Right? Look around. We see other believers. Other people who have taken faith in what the word of God has said, that Jesus Christ came from heaven and died for them. And they've put their faith and trust in the gospel, and they're saved. And then they have come and gathered together as a church. What is a church? A church, a church is a called-out assembly of believers. So for the simple fact that there are believers here and that there's a church here this evening proves that sharing your faith works. Because none of us would have been here if no one shared their faith with us. So it it proves to us that sharing our faith works. But don't just believe your eyes. Believe what the scriptures say. The scriptures test is the second test. Look back at your Bible. Go you therefore and teach or see people saved in all nations. The next two words, baptizing them. That is proof that sharing your faith works. How do we we say that it's proof? Because there's an order to it. 
You can't be baptized unless you've been first saved. Teaching them, right? It says teach all nations. See them saved. And then after they're saved, they get baptized. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. There's an order to it. So the fact that God puts baptism after the salvation is proof to us that if we share our faith, if we're just faithful and obedient to the gospel, that God will make it work. Now, I'll be honest, not every single time that I've shared my faith have I felt that it worked because the person maybe have slammed a door in my face or they've, my coworkers, I don't want to hear that. Don't tell me that ever again. And it happens, right? People turn away from the gospel. But it doesn't mean it's not working, right? Some sow, some water, but God gives the increase. I'm not responsible for the fruit. I'm responsible for the work, for the action of obedience, for just doing what God has said to do. And when I do that, in time, God will bring the increase. He will bring the fruit. I just need to be, just to be obedient. So we see that it's evidence here in Scripture that it works. It works, which is good news for you and for me. Because it means that we're not wasting our time. That's what it means. If God promises that it works, which he does, that means we're not wasting our time. Every time I share my faith, every time I take this Bible and I open it up and I share with, with maybe a neighbor or a family member or a friend, a coworker, whoever it may be, and I share with them the gospel, I'm not wasting my time. I might not see the fruit right away, but I'm not wasting my time. Because God is telling us that it works. But we need to go back to that phrase then, all nations. If it works, how then are we to get it to all nations? Because that's a, that's a pretty powerful statement, right? All nations? Every single people group? Everyone in this world, 8 billion people? Every tongue, every tribe, every race, every religion? How in the world are we to get the gospel to all nations? I believe there's three ways. And they're very practical. It starts with, first off, personally. If you want to reach the entire world, God says we can do it. He wouldn't put it in his, in his word unless we couldn't do that. We've seen it happen before in the book of Acts. They turned the world upside down, right? We've seen it. It's, it's evidenced here in the scriptures. There's been proof that at one time it actually did happen. So how are we to do it again? Personally. It starts with you. Which means then forget about everything else for a second and just focus on the people you know. Forget about Hawthorne. Right now, Hawthorne to you should not be important. What should be important to you right at this moment is your circle. And if you reach your circle, guess what? There's more people who have come to know the Savior. And then it continues to spread. And if those people that you reached reach their circle, and then those people that now you're a third degree of separation reach their circle, and a fourth degree reach their circle, pretty soon 
the whole world could be reached. I did some calculations not too long ago, and just for some, uh, the numbers, right? For the sake of numbers, I, I was kind of fairly, what's the word I'm looking for, conservative? Let's just say there's 100 million Christians in the whole world. That's reasonable to think, 100 million in the entire world. There's 8 billion people in the world. It's reasonable to guess that there's 100 million. If we were to, every Christian reach their circle, we could reach the whole world in less than 15 years. It's possible in our day. So it starts personally. When we reach the world, start personally. Start with the people you know. Secondly, though, all nations, how are we to do that? Prayerfully. Prayerfully. We had in our video, Luke chapter 10, verse number 2. This is a, a verse that's used in missions conferences all across the world. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. If you want to reach all nations, pray for more laborers. Get on your knees. Pray for Brother James I mean, he's starting in a couple of weeks. Pray for him. He needs your prayers. Go help him, right? But we, we think, okay, I can pray and I've done my job. Check that off the list. I'm good. I don't need to do anything else. That's often how the churches in America think about missions. Well, pray for the missionary. The context, though, of Luke chapter 10, verse number 2 is very, very, very important. Who is Christ speaking to? It's vitally important that we ask ourselves that question, because if we're not careful, we just think, oh, if I pray for missionaries, I'm doing my job. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the 70. Who are the 70? They're the ones sharing their faith. They're the ones saying, did you guys know the Messiah is literally here right now? The kingdom, it's come. These are the guys casting out demons, healing the sick, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he tells those obedient ones to pray. He doesn't tell those who are sitting on the sidelines doing nothing to pray. He tells the faithful ones, the obedient ones, pray for more laborers. Again, there's an order to it. Why is that order important? Because God is not after knocking on the door. He's not after you passing out a tract. What he's truly after is your heart. And if God has your heart, you will be out in the community sharing your faith. You will be out in the workplace speaking about the gospel. You will go home and and during the the holiday season share with your family members, hey, there's there's this God that I, I want you to meet. You will share your faith if he has your heart. And if he has your heart, then you'll be on your knees. And you'll be praying for more people like you. More people who will share their faith. So there's an order to it, personally, then prayerfully. And I believe the last way we can really reach all nations is financially. Now I want you to notice something very important. This last part, financially, is not necessary. It's not. I'll be flat out honest. We don't need more money to get the gospel out. It's not necessary. It's just helpful at times. That's all it is. It helps pay the bills. It helps run buses. It helps have kids' classes. It helps to, to print uh, tracks, the money to print tracks. None of those things are necessary, though, to see someone saved. 
What is necessary is personally going and sharing your faith. Because no one can get saved unless you personally do that and share your faith. So it starts with that. And then prayer. And then finances. Why do I put it in that order? Because the first two, if you don't have those first two, forget about it. God's not going to work unless we're obeying. God's not going to work unless, unless we're praying. So those two things have to be set in stone. And if you're then able, then finances. Then you can think about that. And why do I say it that way? Because Philippians chapter 4, Paul says this. He says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Now, I understand that throughout the course of the beginning of the church, there were times when other churches did get involved and help Paul in his mission work. We see that throughout the the rest of the epistles. Other churches got on board. But at this specific time, Paul says there was only one church who was helping me financially. But also, if you look at the church history at that time, that didn't stop more churches from being planted, did it? None of this... But churches were being spread everywhere. Why? Because they had the right order. They were all personally sharing their faith. All those other people were praying for Paul, praying for Silas, praying for Barnabas, praying for the other apostles. They were were on their knees praying for the gospel to be spread. They couldn't do this at that time. They were being persecuted, many of them. They maybe didn't have any of this. They lost, many of those Christians lost everything. Which means that God does not need your money. He's not after that. He's after your heart. And if he has your heart, you will share your faith personally. If he has your heart, you will pray. And if he has your heart, if you're able to, then he'll also have your finances. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's an order to it. And if we have the right order... I believe we really can reach the world. We can reach Orange County. We can reach L.A. County and San Bernardino County and Riverside and Ventura. And we, can, we can reach San Diego County. And we can reach Southern California. We can reach California. We can reach the United States. If we have the right order, we can reach the entire world. So all nations. So not only do we see all power in all nations, but third, we see all things. It says there in the text, verse number 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now this word for teach here is different than the first word for teach. That that first word had the idea of increasing disciples, seeing more people to get saved. This word for teach has the idea of instructing or imparting doctrine. What we would term the, the phrase would be discipleship. Seeing people to get grounded in their faith. Teaching them to observe all things. But notice that it doesn't say, teach them all things. Right? That's not what it says. Teaching them to observe all things. That word observe is very key. It means to attend to it carefully, to take ownership of it, to guard it, to have it as your own, to do it. In other words, to live it out. Living out the gospel, living out the Bible that Jesus Christ has given to us, live it out. There's a big difference between teach and living it out. 
Are we living it out? Teaching them to observe all things. Often the churches in America are content with someone just getting saved. And I'm all for that. I mean, Jesus is too, and heaven is. The Bible says that every time a sinner turns to repentance and, and accepts Christ, that the angels in heaven are rejoicing about that fact. That's a big deal when someone gets saved, but it's not the Great Commission. And then baptism, that's, a, that's another important thing. I mean, even in the text here, it says baptizing them. That's important. But being saved and being baptized is not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is when you get saved, and then you get baptized, and then you live the book out. That's the Great Commission. You're, you're living this out. And you're teaching other people how to live this out. And when that happens, guess what else happens? By default, more missionaries are sent. More churches are started. Because we can't contain it within these four walls anymore. It got too big. So we got to spread out. we got to spread our wings. And we go to a new city. And there's no one saved in that city. And so we reach one person. And they're saved and baptized, and now they're living it out. And then we reach a second person. They're, they're saved, baptized, and living it out. And then we reach a group of people. We're all saved, baptized, and living it out. And, and we have a church, and we're growing, and now we can't contain it within the four walls, and we have to spread out. That's the Great Commission. Living out what God has commanded us to live out. Often, though, we're content with just, yes, someone got saved. And we have like a little scoreboard in our minds. Oh, they're, they're baptized, good. But are they living out? Are you living out the Great Commission? All things. Pretty powerful statement there. Teaching them to observe all things. But it's necessary. So we see all power, all nations, all things. This is my favorite point here, though. All way. He says, Lo, I am with you always. Even until the end of the world, amen. Those are some of the most beautiful words that a Christian could ever hear. The all-powerful one that we spoke about in the first point literally is with you always. How many of you have a red-letter edition Bible? Meaning that your, your text is both red and black. The words of Christ are in red, right? If you notice there in, in your Bible, that last word, amen, it's in black. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ didn't say amen. He says, lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. And that was it. That's all he said. So why is the amen there? The amen is there because the Holy Spirit tells Matthew, make sure you tell everyone that I'm on Christ's side. Basically what we see is God talking to himself right now. Jesus says, I'm with you all the way. The Holy Spirit says, I'll second that. I'm backing him up. Isn't that amazing? God says he's with us always, and then he says that again. I'm with you always. So then why do we feel that God's not with us? 
I mean, how many of you have ever asked yourself, God, where are you? I've been asking myself that a lot lately, right? You see the things on the news, Hamas and Israel, Ukraine and Russia, all the different things going on with the politics in this world, all the different crazy people that we see on the television. Like, God, where are you at? I have that thought sometimes. Where are you? God, where are you? What's going on? Why can't I feel you? Where is your presence? Did God lie? I don't think so. Now, maybe this is the case for you, maybe it's not, but I'm convinced that many people ask that question, God, where are you? They're not feeling his presence because they're not living out the Great Commission. If we were to live this out, I promise you, you would feel his presence daily in your life. If you were living out the book, walking in the Spirit, having the fruit of the Spirit in your life, declaring your faith everywhere you went, living out the book to the best of your ability, you would feel his presence. Now, I understand that there's times when even the best of Christians have that question, God, where are you? So I'm not saying that if you ever, ever had that question, man, you're some horrible Christian. That's not what I'm trying to get at. What I'm getting at is if we were just to live this out on a day-to-day basis, you would be confident each and every day that you are walking humbly with thy God. So are you living it out? You see, the Great Commission is only possible because of him. And if we're not walking with him, it's not going to happen. If we're not walking with God, forget about church planning, man, because it's not going to work. Forget about missions. If you're not committed to sharing your faith and living it out, it won't happen. God can do anything. But he has chosen to use you and to use me to get this out. All power is given unto me. Go ye, therefore. It's your job. It's my job to reach my city. So may we live it out. May we take this gospel It may be the center of our life. And may it ooze out of us to the point where people begin to see that, man, there's a difference with that guy. There's a difference with that girl, with that man, with that woman. There's something strange there, and it intrigues me. I have to know more. A peculiar people. When we become that... He gets glory. It's a powerful thing, this word all. Are you all in? Or are you kind of riding the fence? Maybe you have one of those things, but not not both. I'll close with this illustration. Imagine, if you would, for a moment, that someone walked through those double doors, and they looked like they're maybe homeless, or maybe like they, they've been abused. Maybe they were 
they would look very hungry, or maybe they look like someone had just beaten them up. Whatever the case may be, you see this person, and they're in a bad situation. It's not good. Just from just seeing them, you think to yourself, oh my goodness, that, that's not a good situation. And they begin to walk up these, these aisles, and they come right up to the front. And I had in my hand a $100 bill. Benjamin Franklin. Everyone loves Ben Franklin, right? We don't care about George Washington too much. It's not worth anything anymore. But, but Benjamin Franklin still has some weight. And you see that $100 bill, and, and he comes right up. He sees the $100 bill as well, and he has the courage to come up to me and ask me, can you help me? Can I have that? I mean, that would help me a lot right now. I mean, I'm sure you can tell just looking at me, uh, but I need help, and that would definitely help me. I have a couple of options, don't I? First option is to say, no, that's mean. 100 bucks is a lot of money. Don't you understand, like, we're, we're in Southern California? Like, I, I can use this to help pay my bills or whatever the case may be, right? I'm sorry, I can't help you with this. And we turn them away. No. Second option is to say, sure, whatever you need, here you go, and just give it to him. I hope this helps. The third option is what many Christians across America have decided to do. They have decided to say, how about we split it? That seems reasonable, splitting it, right? That's, that's reasonable. And so what they do is they take that $100 bill and they rip it in half and they give him his 50 and they keep their 50. What did that accomplish? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. It accomplished nothing. In fact, it devastates this man because he was getting his hopes up that he would get help and he got no help. And I actually probably lost out on it the most because I lost all of that $100 bill. It's now worthless to me. So we both lose. And I'm afraid that's what we're doing with the gospel. God has given us the gospel to go and help people, to give them hope. And what many Christians have done, they say, well, I, I can't personally be a witness, but I'll pray. Here you go. And their heart's not in it. So their prayers don't do anything. Or they say, you know what, God, I'm not doing any of that. You, you just do your part. There's two parts for you, right? You do your thing, and I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Still, same result. Nothing happens. God's not looking for Christians to be halfway in, halfway out. One foot in the world, one foot in, my, in, in, in uh, the spirituality. One in my comfort, one in the church. That's not what God's asking for. He's asking for Christians who will be all in. Just like he was all in, going to the cross for you and for me. When we look at this passage, and every single time moving forward, when you look at this passage, ask yourself, am I all in? Am I all in on missions, on the Great Commission, and church planting, and seeing people saved, seeing them discipled, and, and living out this gospel? Am I living out this gospel? Am I all in? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.